Good morning. Happy to be back. Appreciated the mission story. Uh, this month, uh, with my son-in-law, we visited the camp meeting for the Amish people. In fact, we have seen some of you there. We met you there. I'd like to thank each one of you for your support. Uh, the last six months was rather hard for us. In December, I lost my wife. Unexpectedly, it came so fast that it's unbelievable. And then six months later, our younger daughter died of cancer. You know, we have been praying, pleading with the Lord, the school, and so many people. But somehow the Lord did not see fit to answer our prayers according to our expectations. But we love the Lord, we trust the Lord, and we have no question that he loves us. We just don't understand at this point, but we will. World War II ended. Nineteen forty-five. Anybody remembers? There are a few individuals who does. Uh, I was 10 years old when the war ended, only 10. But I remember the fightings two years back when the Russians and the Germans were fighting and all the battles going on. But finally in 1945, the fighting ended, but not the conflict between opposing ideology or principle. So, the victorious powers made the decision that those who lost, or we will have to hold them accountable for all the tragedies. It's usually the losing ones who are guilty. The winners are on the right side. I'm saying this with a little quotation mark before and after. <clears throat> so, the trial started, and uh, of course, our last prime minister during the war was guilty of war crimes and they judged him worthy of death. They put the rope on his neck. The priest walked up to him with a cross. He kissed the cross as a last gesture. He kissed it kissed it, and then they executed him. 
Now, brethren, may I say this, and I say this with intention. Culturally, it is understandable that somebody expresses his Christianity by kissing the crucifix. Did you hear me? Culturally. But biblically is not enough. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Brethren, we should never, never forget a cultural attitude or a theological attitude are in conflict. Uh, I'd like to share with you two stories. Two stories that both are in the New Testament, uh, both are in the red letter edition. In other words, those stories come from the mouth of Christ. Christ recited both. Interestingly enough, both character in both stories have the identical first name. The first story never happened. Never happened. But it teaches a principle that is a life and death matter. Please remember this. The first story never happened. It's a parable, but it teaches a principle. And acceptance or rejection of that principle is a life and death matter. If you accept it, you will be saved. If you don't, you will be lost. The second story literally happened, word for word. But the second story is is to demonstrate the truthfulness of the first one. Let me illustrate before I go to the story. You remember when Jesus was in Capernaum and he was healing the sick and so many people came to the house that they blocked the door, nobody could come and there were four individuals carrying a paralyzed man, but they couldn't get in. So what did they do? Went to the roof, opened the roof, let the man down in front of Jesus. And what was the first response that Jesus said? Son, be of good courage. Your sins are forgiven. And the listener said this, who is this man? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God? And uh, partially they were correct. Partially it's only God who can forgive. But they did not recognize the divinity of Christ. But this was an invisible miracle, correct? Forgiving the sins is an invisible miracle. 
But Jesus says that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on the earth. He told the man, Arise, take up your bed, and go home. The second miracle, a physical miracle, proved the first one that was invisible. So the two stories I'm going to share with you is in the same category. The first story never happened, never happened. But it has a true principle at the end. The second story literally proves the principle shared in the first one. Is this clear where we are going, brethren? And the two stories should be studied always together. Not separate, but together. Now turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. You know the story, but probably you did not realize the significance. There was a rich man, I'm reading verse 19. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed by the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus on his bosom, and he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, brethren, as I told you, this has never happened. You cannot take it literally. You cannot take it literally. Because if I dip my finger in cold water, it's not enough to cool the man. I would ask a couple hundred gallon of ice water to put out the fire around me, not just a dip of cold water. By the way, I have to tell you something to illustrate the importance of doctrinal correctness. This is the Roman Catholic Catechism Hungarian. My the English is just as good, but I ordered it in Hungarian. <clears throat> Officially authorized. This is not printed by Protestants or Jews or Muslims. This is officially authorized 
printing of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, I'm not going to quote because you wouldn't understand anyhow if I quote it in Hungarian, but it's same in English, so you can get it. Or Latin, if you prefer Latin or Italian. But <clears throat> there is one interesting aspect of it. <clears throat> Discusses afterlife. What happens when you die? And those who put this together they said, oh, we can prove it from the scripture that when you die, and if you are not prepared, you go to the purgatory. And they cite or quote the story of rich men and Lazarus. They said, it's in the scripture. The story of rich men of Lazarus. Now, brethren, <clears throat> I just want you to know it is true Jesus told that parable. But Jesus never intended to tell you that that's the consequences, the immediate consequences. What do we say? <clears throat> when an individual dies, he doesn't go immediately to heaven or hell or purgatory. This is one reason when I am invited to preach and I <clears throat> often do preach it the Calvinist Hungarian Presbyterian churches, I said, I am willing to substitute, but I am not willing to take a funeral service. They have asked me to, would you conduct a funeral of such a relative or this? I said, no. Why don't I don't take a funeral service? Because they expect me to put that relatives in heaven right after death, and I cannot do that. I run into a real difficulty uh, once I am not repeating again, but you do make mistakes, you know, even if you are a senior. You do make mistakes. I have very good Hungarian friends in the Baptist community. <clears throat> and one of their relatives, the Hungarian Baptist, one of their relatives died and we went to their funeral service, and they said, Pastor Botensky, would you do us a favor? What is it? Now, would you translate? Would you translate? And mistakenly, I consented. And one of my church members said, Pastor Botansky, I never heard you say so much heresy in one half an hour than today. Did you get the point? They asked me the second time. And I said, no, no. I cannot participate in a funeral service with good conscience. <coughs> <coughs> So the rich man says, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, 
that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now listen to the answer of Abraham. And Abraham said, verse 25, Son, remember that you in your life, you received your goods, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Beside all this thing, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, past tense, fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there to pass to us. I think the answer of Abraham, now this is an allegorical parable, so you cannot take it literally if you know the scriptures. So the rich man was persuaded. He came to the conclusion, there can be no change in my condition. Verse 27 And he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Very important, brethren. In a very critical situation, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, depends if you listen to Moses and the prophets. It's still true. Verse 30, and he says, no, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now, at Pentecost, the apostle was preaching, Acts 5.31, it says, it is God who gives us repentance. Brethren, in our own strengths, we cannot repent. We are just not capable. So what was his argument? He says, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And please underline this and put an exclamation mark on the margin, because this is the only teaching of this parable. This is the only teaching of this parable. Verse 31. That's all. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Are you with me, brethren? 
It's a very serious issue because we will be confronted with the same issue. Jesus told one day to the listeners, to the Jewish people, if you believed Moses and if you believed the prophets, you would believe in me because they have written about me. The problem with you, you don't believe Moses, you don't believe the prophets. So, he said, if they do not hear Moses, if they do not hear the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, so one rise from the dead. Now, you understand, I told you that this story never happened. This is a parable. I don't want to elaborate it much longer. It never happened. But it teaches a principle. It teaches a principle, an invisible principle. And now we go to the second story that literally happened. Word for word, literally happened. Proving the principle. Proving the principle. Turn with me. John 11, the gospel according to John, chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. It was enough in the minds of the sisters just to tell, Lord, whom you love is sick. What was Jesus Answering, he says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and for the Son of God, that he may be glorified by it. Now, in verse 5, again, the statement is repeated. Now, Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved her sister, and Jesus loved Lazarus. You remember the story? Let me just summarize briefly. Jesus tarried and four days later finally decided to come to Bethany. And when she arrived, you remember, Martha met him first. And what was her first response? Lord, If you had been here, my sister would not have died. We sent you the message. And you didn't come. But even in this condition, Martha says, but I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, God will answer your prayer. 
you know, we have been praying for Ginny and for healing, for her healing many times, pleading with the Lord, but we always added, Lord, not my will be done. We would prefer if she was restored to the family, restored to the school, restored to the church. Uh, we hardly could imagine life going on without her. I mean, uh, don't, don't get offended when I say this. Please don't get offended. I lost my wife, and it was much, much, much easier to accept it. Also, we, we lived happily together for 52 years. But she was getting up in years, and I accepted it. But when we lost Jeannie, who was only 47, she still has two teenage girls who needed the mother, everything. I mean, brethren, I cannot explain. I cannot explain except I am saying with Martha Lord, if you had been here, my daughter would not have died, but I know even now, whatever you ask, Whatever you say. And if you say, Igor, you have to wait until the second advent, I will patiently wait. And I will not hold it against the Lord. Also, it's, it's a little bit painful. Do you follow me? Do you follow me? Then Mary comes. And Mary kneels down before Jesus and says the identical word, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. True words? Yes, absolutely true. And then Jesus says, where did you lay him? They show him the place. Then Jesus asks the stone to be removed. And Martha ob objects, uh, says, Lord, by this time, he stinks. Jesus gently reproves Martha. But so gently that she is not offended. And then let's come to the prayer of Christ. The stone is rolled away, the dead is there, visible, brethren. You have to reread this entire chapter in Desarvages. You have to reread it in these outrages. The sepulcher is open. Everybody sees a dead body there. I read verse 41. 
John eleven forty one. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. Now, brethren, let's stop here. We have to have this assurance whether our prayer answered or not. Are you with me? We have to have this assurance because the word says so. And if it is written so, we can trust it even if we don't understand. Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And brethren, that's still a present truth. Still a present truth. It is still a salvation issue. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now, brethren, the story doesn't really end here. The story doesn't really end here. Yes, the story says that those who witness, those who witness the resurrection, many of them believed. But it was still a small group of people compared to the nation. Are you with me? It was a small, small minority. But what happened to those who just heard, like the Sanhedrin? Verse 53, if you have the Bible with you. 53. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from that into the country near the wilderness, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, brethren, how did the parable, the previous parable, how did it end? I told you that there is only one lesson from the rich man and Lazarus, only one lesson. And it is not the lesson that the Roman Catholic Catechism claims to have. Did, 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 did you get me? Brethren, I cannot emphasize that doctrinal correctness is important. It is extremely important. And we have to study the Bible for ourselves. Otherwise, we will rejoin the Mother Church. 
Lord, save us from that. <coughs> Next chapter, chapter 10, uh, 12, verses 10 and 11. That John chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. But the chief priests, plural, to counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. How did the previous parable end? What was Abraham's word? But coming from Jesus' lips, what did Abraham say? If they don't listen to Moses, if they don't listen to the prophets, they will not be converted or change their mind even if somebody returns from the death. And in John 11, we have a literal proof of the previous story. Now, I'd like to close it with a little something, promotion. I'm not selling, but I'm selling the truth. You understand? I'm not selling books. I'm selling the truth. You remember what... What I preached last time when I was here. I am fine. It's over, but I finish soon, okay? Just be patient. You remember what I said last time? You remember I spoke about Jehu driving furiously, the Bible says. That's one of his characteristics. But he killed all the Baal worshippers. A radical manner invited everybody, almost commanded them to come, and then he massacred them and killed the family of the apostate king and killed Jezebel. <coughs> Excuse me. Now you remember, this is what I said. And what did the Lord tell Jehu? Because what you have done, four generations of your children will sit on the throne of Israel. So what was the reward that Jehu got? Okay. The son, grandson, and great-grandson will be sitting on the throne. I wish the story ended here, but you have to read the scriptures carefully. In the same scriptures, I'm not turning there. You have to do your homework. But in the same scriptures, next to each other, verses 10, 11, and 12, 2 Kings, I think chapter 10 or somewhere there, 2 Kings, maybe chapter 12, 
where the Lord says, because you have done this that I am pleased with, four generations will sit on the throne. But at the same time, it says, but Jehu did not serve the Lord with all his heart and all his mind and all his soul. He did not turn from the golden calves. He remained an idol worshiper. And I'm afraid to say he will not be saved. Now, <clears throat> we have the scripture reading. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13. I, I wrote to Ron when I sent the text that to me, this chapter is as, as important as 1 Corinthians 13. Now, what does 1 Corinthians 13 tells you? Chapter 13. It's a love chapter. It's, it's the ultimate definition of divine love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. May I say Deuteronomy chapter 13. And it's not by accident that both chapters are 13. I think a divine providence ordered it that way. 1 Corinthians 13 and Deuteronomy chapter 13. I asked her to read only five verses, but I told Ron the entire chapter is telling you we are expected to love the Lord with all our hearts, all our mind, all our soul, Anything less will not endure. Will not endure. In closing now, really closing now, I'm really closing. <clears throat> you know, the real conflict is <clears throat> right now among us is the question of the theology of last generation. <clears throat> Have you heard that expression, theology of last generation? <clears throat> it's a very important issue. And I'm just simply saying, you ought to get this little book. I didn't write it. I couldn't write it so good. Cleanse and Close. It's only 150 pages, small pages, but brethren, you must read it to understand the issues. I am a committed follower of last generation theology. Now, I know the official, the official position is not this. The official position is... Ooh, I will be in trouble. But the official position is that last generation theology is heresy. Heresy. But I think last generation theology is the correct understanding of the gospel. So, 
Cleansing Clothes by Larry Kirkpatrick. Get the book. I will email it to you, Ron, and then you can share it with the congregation. Please remember the words of Abraham to the rich man. If they don't listen to Moses, and if they don't listen to the prophets, miracles will not change them. Very important, brethren. Very important because the ultimate test is not miracles. I didn't hear an amen, but the ultimate test is not miracles. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 13 speaks about miracles. Speaks about miracles. Please reread the chapter. It's a salvation issue. So thank you again for your prayers. Thank you again for your support. It's a privilege to be with you. Brooklyn is still a home for me. I love Brooklyn. And I hope that we will be together up in heaven. Lord bless you real good.